energy level was was totally different uh, than we played, you know, the, uh, a couple of days ago, and that's all we talked about. Uh, guys, we're playing harder now. We can play smarter and play the basketball that we're capable of playing. So that's the team I've been looking for. That's the team. You know, everything's in, and I even told them, "Hey, I'm a." I'm taking the handcuffs off. You ain't gonna hear my voice. Just go play, play hard, play for each other. And I thought, I thought they did. They, they went out and just played basketball. Went out and just played basketball. What a concept! That was St. John's coach Mike Anderson following the Red Storms thumping, thumping of Seton Hall, 84-63. And trust me, it was all that and more. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to episode 23 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis, and hey, if you like what you hear, there are plenty of more podcasts prior to this one. Take a listen, tell your friends, get the word out, share the link, and please subscribe to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast on Apple or Spotify. I subscribe to the belief that Hard work beats talent most of the time. You don't have to be talented to work hard. You don't have to be talented to give 100% effort. Monday night at historic Walsh Gymnasium. And trust me, it is historic. I know fans like to make fun of the Seton Hall home court with the stage. And I get it. I get it. But it's our stage, Seton Hall fans. It's been around for 82 years. Some of the all-time greats have played there. Hall of Famers, Bob Davies, Walter Dukes, Pep Saul, Nick Workman, Mark Bryant, Terry DeHair, just to name some of the Seton Hall greats. Patrick Ewing, Chris Mullen, Ed Pinckney, Michael Bagley, on and on and on. We can come up with so many of them. Walsh Gymnasium has played host to Hall of Famers. Great games in that little bandbox. Memories. But last night was a horror show for Seton Hall. And it was so memorable for St. John's. The Red Storm had come in limping into Walsh. They were on life support. If you heard the chatter, read the chatter on Twitter, they wanted Mike Anderson fired immediately. The season going up in flames. Who's going to be our next coach? They had lost four of five, didn't have a quad one victory on the season. Seton Hall had just manhandled them, embarrassed them on their home court. Maybe the score wasn't indicative of it, but believe me, they took it to St. John's on Saturday. They were big underdogs. Left for dead on 33rd and 8th. No way were they going to beat Seton Hall at Walsh, where there was a raucous student-only crowd lining up hours before. Crowd of 1,300. They were getting ready to cheer on their pirates, get back to 500. Here we go, Seton Hall. Sweep their rivals back to the garden. But this is sports. And you know what they say? On any given night, it can happen. You know, sometimes it's not about talent. Sometimes it's about which team can make the shots or make that one play at the end of the game, get that final defensive stop. 
as we've seen so many times before. Or maybe, maybe it just comes down to this. It's as simple as which team wants it more, right? You hear coaches, you hear analysts talk about it more. Oh, this team wants it more. Guys, give me eight minutes. Give me four minutes. It's who wants it more. There's no question who wanted it more. Did Seton Hall think that St. John's was just going to roll over? Did they not realize that St. John's was going to come in and press them right from the opening tip? Because it seems like they weren't prepared for it. From my perspective, and I could be wrong, I'm sure they practiced against it. But this team seemed shell-shocked. They seemed flat-footed. As a matter of fact, when St. John's came at them, it seemed like they were on their heels. And Kevin Willard admitted so afterward. How could you not be prepared for what St. John's was going to bring to Walsh Gymnasium? They were relentless. They pressured and pressured. They imposed their will. They out-rebounded, out-defended, out-performed, and they certainly out-coached Seton Hall for 40 minutes. And St. John's fans are saying, where has this been all season? That's the team that was predicted fourth in the Big East preseason poll by the coaches. That's the team we expected to see from Mike Anderson. 40 minutes of hell. Not 40 minutes of hell for us. Because that's been the chatter. That's been the reality for St. John's fans. The disappointment of this season. But all in one night. All in one magical 40 minutes of hell performance by St. John's. Maybe, just maybe, the Johnnies turn their season around. Meanwhile, Seton Hall fans are saying, where's the team that outdueled Texas? Where's the team that beat top five Michigan at the time they were top five? Where's the team that beat Michigan on the road? Where's the team that outfought and outdefended UConn on January 1st? Where's the team that defeated Rutgers soundly? What happened to that Seton Hall team? What happened to that hunger, that desire? So you saw one team that was desperate and another team that was shell-shocked, couldn't match the other team's intensity, and that's the result that you get. A resounding 21-point beating on your home court. So how did St. John's beat Seton Hall on the road 48 hours after Seton Hall just beat them in their building? Instead of hearing it from me, Let's hear from Miles Kale and Kevin Willard. They jumped on us early. You know, uh, they, their pressure was a lot, and they, they just played harder than us. They, it just looked like they wanted it a little bit more, and we take full responsibility. I thought their pressure was, was phenomenal. Uh, I thought they did a great job of getting after Cooks uh, early, and I thought their tempo uh, was much, much different than it was the other night. Uh, kind of got us on our heels early, and they did a good job of just really coming after Cooks. They played much faster um, than they did Saturday, and I think their pace offensively kind of caught us off guard, 
and then kind of just got us on defense. And then their pressure, like I said, you know, we beat their pressure early a couple times. And Wheeler and Soriano were terrific around the rim. You know, they didn't foul. They didn't give anything easy. They made everything difficult. Um, you know, when, when those guys are playing that big and that long, they're, they're tough. So you heard Kevin Willard right there talking about the pace and tempo of St. John's. They amped it up, had us on our heels, really came after Cooks. And if you don't know, that's Kaderi Richmond. They call him Cooks. Kaderi Richmond, I don't know if he put too much pressure on himself because it was St. John's playing a team that's from his home city. I don't know if he was not prepared for the workload of playing 35 plus minutes, 38 minutes, because Bryce Aiken still can't go because he still is in concussion protocol. So all of the weight and the burden of playing point guard against a team like St. John's that pressures you and pressures you, Kaderi Richmond wasn't ready for it. His stat line, whoo, in two games, three for 27 with 12 turnovers. I don't know which is more eye-opening. Three for 27 or 12 turnovers from your starting point guard. Wow. I mean, both are equally equally shocking. Shouldn't happen for a starting point guard in the Big East, and yet they did. So as richly talented and blessed as Kaderi Richmond is, you can see how far he still has to grow to become the point guard that Kevin Willard expects and needs him to be. That game, he scored a career-high 27 points against UConn. Wow. I mean, as impressive as that was, that seems like months ago. Seems like last season. And it was only three weeks ago. So... Seton Hall was not ready for this pressure. How could you not be ready for St. John's pressure? How could you not think that they were going to come and pressure you from the first made basket? I don't get it. This team was shell-shocked. They were not ready for the 40 minutes of hell that St. John's brought. And they brought it with 10 guys. They did it with their bench. Their bench was brilliant. Seton Hall's bench has not been outscored like this all year. St. John's bench outscored Seton Hall's 41-25. to 41-25. Now, I know that Posh Alexander was responsible for a big chunk of that. Didn't start. Was a coach's decision. He did come into the game about three minutes in. So whatever disciplinary action was administered by Anderson to Posh, he sat for three minutes, okay? So message received, coach. All Posh Alexander did was score 19 points, seven rebounds, five assists, three steals, and oh, by the way, four offensive rebounds. The smallest guy on the court got four offensive rebounds, okay? Three of those 
He immediately put back up six gimmies, six chippies that Seton Hall did not box out the smallest player on the court. Who wanted it more? The rebounding difference was astounding. The turnaround from one game to another. Seton Hall had 60 rebounds in the win on Saturday at Madison Square Garden. 60. Their most rebounds in a game in 20 years. Plus 17 on the boards. It was an absolute domination on Saturday. So how do you go from plus 17 and 48 hours later, you're minus six to one of the worst rebounding teams in the Big East? Seton Hall is one of the best. St. John's is one of the worst rebounding teams in the Big East. And yet, St. John's came into Walsh Gymnasium and out-rebounded Seton Hall 49-43. to Aaron Wheeler, who continues to be a double-double machine for Mike Anderson, had 10 rebounds to go along with the 17 points. Julian Champagny, 8. Joel Soriano, 8. And your point guard, who came off the bench, didn't start, had 7 rebounds. They had 4 guys with seven rebounds or more. St. John's won it with pressure. They won it with rebounding. And here's what Kevin Willard had to say about the importance of rebounding in this game. You know, we watched film at halftime. That was just, that, that was our total lack of effort on the rebounding, to be perfectly honest. That's the, you know, the major disappointment I had. I just thought we just didn't give the effort on the rebounding that we had in the first game. It's about effort. The effort wasn't there for Seton Hall. And the shooting certainly wasn't there. This team continues to just have subpar shooting nights. Let's face it, Seton Hall is not a good shooting team. They're certainly not a good three-point shooting team. They can make shots, but they're not a good shooting team. And right now, their best player, Jared Roden, who I'm beginning to wonder is he really Seton Hall's best player? Before Bryce Aiken got the concussion, you could make a case that Bryce Aiken was Seton Hall's best player, certainly for good stretches of the season. Jared Roden needs to find his shot. Jared Roden needs to find his place on this team. Jared Roden needs to find his stroke and find a way to make an impact on the offensive end. One thing you can never question about Jared Roden is his heart and desire to win. He's always doing other things. He's always defending. He's always rebounding, even though his shot isn't there. He was four for 17 on Monday, one for six from three. You could see it. He's pressing. He's not comfortable in a shot. And yes, St. John's banged him. The bigs were big time defending him, banging him. He wasn't getting the calls. Jared Roden rarely gets calls, if you notice. He goes in there, loves, loves to get contact. But more often than not, when he goes inside, 
he doesn't get calls. I don't know what it is, but he doesn't get calls. He gets a few, but you'd think he would get more. Once again, the calls weren't coming, and you can see it. He had some open looks, couldn't hit him. The biggest play in the game that Jared Roden had a chance to make and didn't was at the end of the first half, Seton Hall was hustling. They had trimmed a 21-point lead down to 10. Miles Kale just had a hustle steal. They had the ball with a chance to cut it to eight right before the half. And man, did they get the shot that they wanted. Roden, by himself, pull-up 15-footer, chance to cut it to eight, and it clangs off the back rim. 15-foot shot went 16. And instead, you felt a little deflation. The fans were ready to erupt. They were ready to go into the locker room with all the momentum in the world, down eight, cutting a 21-point lead down to eight. Here we go, Pirates. Instead, deflation, shoulders start to slump a little bit. Man, I can't get the shot to go. I can't believe I missed that. The fans are like, ah, hey, but still, we cut it to 10. It wasn't the same feeling. Now, that's not why Seton Hall lost. They likely would have lost anyway. But that was a defining moment of the game for Jared Roden. After that, he never got going offensively. But look, it's not all Roden. The entire team shot 31%. They missed nine free throws. Now, you would say, well, they practice at Walsh. Mm. They practice in the auxiliary gym in the basement, so they don't practice in Walsh. But you would think that maybe they could have gotten a practice on Sunday and practiced one day before they were playing in Walsh. Apparently, that didn't happen. Afterward, Kevin Willard was asked what it was like to play a Big East game at Walsh Gym for the first time since 1985, for the first time in his coaching career, what it was like to play in that atmosphere, even though they lost. And when he was asked about it, his response was quite puzzling when he said he hates playing at Walsh. I, I I don't like playing here, so I would rather play. You know, it's almost like it, it fits them perfect. They play in Carnesecca all the time. It's a small band box. Our home crowd at the Prudential Center is really good. We get like nine thousand for Big East games, so that's eight thousand less people that were there that would have been there. So, um, you know, we we don't practice up there. We don't. That's, I think that's the first time we've been in there in about three months. So, you know, it's, I'll take the credentials, sir. Clearly, Kevin Willard did not hold back his true feelings about playing at Walsh. I'm surprised. How do you not like playing there? It has nothing to do with money. Yes, Seton Hall lost six figures because they probably would have had a sellout against St. John's, minimum 9,000, probably 10,000. So they lost the ticket revenue. They lost that atmosphere. They lost money, but that's not coming out of Kevin Willard's pockets. How would you not like to play in that gym? How would you not like to have the crowd right on top of the opposing team? Mm. 
Even if you feel that way, do you really need to say it? Did you really need to let your feelings go public? Kevin Willard knows exactly what he's saying. He's been around a long time. He's very calculated. He knows exactly what he's saying before he says it. You always hear him talking about the schedule. You always hear him protecting his players, right? He never, rarely, he rarely throws his players under the bus publicly. He always sticks up for them. You might say makes excuses for them, whatever you want to call it. So the fact that he made these feelings public, clearly he doesn't want to play there ever again. And obviously they can't unless there's extenuating circumstances like this because the Big East requires that you have minimum 6,500 in your arena to be able to play a game there, which is why a place like Carneseca fits that. But man, really, really shocking comments from Kevin Willard. The players didn't feel that way. Jameer Harris, Miles Kale. I mean, sure, they were embarrassed by the results, but they loved the atmosphere. They loved seeing the fans over there, the students really cheering and getting behind their pirates. They encouraged them, keep coming, keep coming. Don't give up on us, support us. Really surprising. But I'll tell you one team that loved playing there, St. John's. <laughs> they wish they could play Seton Hall there every year, the way things went there. Their bench loved it. What a job by their bench. Omar Stanley, six points, three rebounds. Steph Smith, four points. Tariq Coburn was the MVP of the bench. That guy is noted to be an outstanding shooter. He came in with the reputation of being a shooter. Well, he's struggled to get minutes. He's struggled to get his shots. Came into the game averaging less than four points a game. He played 15 minutes, Tariq Coburn. Scored nine points, all on threes. What a boost he gave St. John's. Energy, emotion, hitting threes. Nine points. That's the most points he scored in a game since he had 17 points way back in November against St. Peter's. 15 minutes is the most he's played in a game since December 3rd against Kansas. Tariq Coburn was brilliant. The bench was brilliant. So why suddenly did Mike Anderson play the bench? Why suddenly? Well, first of all, he knew that if he was going to press for 40 minutes, he'd have to have two teams and 10 players. No question about it. Because that's what you need to be able to play at that pace and that energy and that tempo for 40 minutes 48 hours after you just got beat on your home court. So it was out of necessity. But afterward, Mike Anderson also said he trusts his bench more. That's key. I thought tonight the different recipe was those guys come off the bench. The Omar 
Stanley, the Isaiah coming in, uh, Steph Smith, uh, Tariq Colburn. Now, all of a sudden, now, they got to worry more than just about Jules and Posh and Dylan and, and Aaron. So the key is continue to get guys to give us some positive minutes, uh, efficient minutes. And I thought that's what those guys gave us, some efficient minutes. And it allowed these guys to rest and be able to finish the game up in the second half. And, and the last, we always talk about that 10-minute period. Uh, that, that's supposed to be ours. For 30 minutes, it may go back and forth. But the last 10 minutes... We want that, and uh, but 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 again, when you go on the road, you got to shoot the basketball. We made shots, we made shots. We had multiple efforts on the offensive glass, and uh, and that's what this team's got to be made of. It's got to be an energy team. It's got a scrapping claw, and uh, sometimes it may not be pretty to you guys, but it's pretty to us. So where do we go from here? Will Mike Anderson continue to trust his bench? I'm going to say yes, especially if they keep playing like that. He's going to keep rolling them out there and seeing what they can give. Now, can St. John's continue this? Can they build off this momentum, their first quad one victory of the season? They're now 11 and seven, three and four in the Big East in seventh place. What's ahead? They have to go to Villanova on Saturday and then home to Providence at Carneseca on Tuesday, February 1st. And then the next two games after that are also on the road. So it's not going to be easy there as they have to go at Georgetown and at Butler. Now, granted, they're the bottom two teams in the Big East, but they're still road games, which are tough to come by. So listen, can St. John's start to get on a roll? Can they win three of the next four games and get to six and five in the Big East? Sure they can. One game at a time. Keep pressing. Keep defending. Keep rebounding. And they got a shot. We'll see. Where does Seton Hall go from here? Man, since starting out the season nine and one, this team's in more than a tailspin, but there's no more excuses for this team. Every team has injuries. Every team goes through ups and downs, and it seems like every team somehow, some way is dealing with COVID. So, yes, Seton Hall fans are saying, oh, what's next? I get it. But when do the excuses stop? Because this team was 9-1. and one. Talking about challenging for a Big East championship. Maybe finally getting away from that dreaded 8-9 game. Or 7-10 game in the NCAA tournament. And earning a coveted top four seed. Instead, they go from 9-1 and one to 12-6. and six. They are 3-5 and five in their last eight games. So this team, do they face a must win against Marquette? Not in January. It's not a must win in January. They need this one, okay? They could certainly use it. They're at home. They shouldn't have to need any extra motivation against the Marquette team that 
they could have beaten on the road just last week. They shouldn't need any motivation against a Marquette team that knocked their starting point guard out of the rotation with a concussion. They shouldn't need any motivation to play Marquette. Okay? It's three games in five days. I get it. One day in between to prepare for each team. But they just played them a week ago. They're coming off their worst loss of the season, their most embarrassing loss of the season. I want to see a team on Wednesday at home at the Prudential Center where Kevin Willard loves to play. I want to see a team come out with energy, emotion, passion, effort, and a team that gives 100% maximum effort for 40 minutes. Not 20, not five, not the last two minutes of a game against DePaul, but 40. Show me something. Show me, show the Seton Hall fans that you want this game more than Marquette. Because if you do, you'll likely win. Then you get to four and five. Then you have six days off to get ready for Georgetown on February 1st. Leave it all on the court, Seton Hall. Must win? No. Critical point in the season? No. But it's an important one. And it's one as January closes that Seton Hall could certainly use. We know Kevin Willard's struggles have happened in January throughout his tenure that January swoon. But we also know that when the calendar turns to February, that's typically when Kevin Willard's teams pick it up, turn it around, and play their best basketball. Will it happen? It needs to begin Wednesday against Marquette at the Prudential Center. And there you have it. That will do it for another episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DiNovellis. Thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the games, everybody. We'll see you next time.